0: Welcome, welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> let's get started. Straight from New York, yo, yo, this handsome man. yo, yo, yo. Ah, now, wow, tuned here. in to Al Joe the Funk Master, Watch your grill yoga knocked out cold fast and talking shit. Now we talking facts. With the mountain off the back, you in trouble, came to burst a bubble. I don't shelter punches, they find home on your mind about a double. This the weekly scraps, you don't need a map, GPS, I'm right here to lead the dash. The world doesn't know it needs, but I grow the seas, fuck a name and the fame. Only legacy remains, remember the name. what's up guys welcome back to the weekly scraps episode 190 we are rocking and rolling man i can't believe this podcast is just about four almost four years in come december i think so thank you guys it's been a long journey And we're finally upticking. Thank you, Jake Fine, for making sure you stay on me. That uh, I get the content out. And actually do the clip-outs. Because before doing the clip-outs, it was a pain in the ass for me to do everything by myself. And then to train like a full-time fighter. That shit crazy, bro. That shit crazy. So, thanks, Jake. You've been a big help. And uh, let's keep making more good stuff for the people out there. The good folks of the MMA universe. And even if you're not in the MMA universe, just... Thanks for tuning in. Okay. So we'll get right into it. Now, I want to touch on this was the return, the redemption of the one and only Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Wah, 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 wah. That guy's a fucking special human being. When it comes to 125, that guy has to be the GOAT. And I know he said he wants to be compared with the band weights at 135, like myself, Peorian, the O'Malley's, and all those other guys. And I'm just like, dude, you're good, but there is a reason why there are weight classes. And again, I'm giving him praise. I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying the only the times he has gone up to 135 fighting Brad Pickett, obviously that was WEC, um, Dominic Cruz. And I think there was one other... Bantamweight that he fought, that he lost as well. Maybe Jorgensen. But what I'm saying is, I just feel like he would have a big size disadvantage. But his skill set is so good. There are definitely bantamweights out there that he can beat. Will he be? Would he actually be the best if it was like myself versus him, or um, him versus uh, Rafian Stotts or or uh, Sergio Pettis? I think there's some argument there, some pushback in terms of the size. But I think Styles make fights and frames and everything. Like he fought Adriano, uh, Adriano Um Adriano Moraes and got the redemption with a beautiful knee. And we're going to talk about the sequence of that knee and how devastating that was and how beautiful of a setup that was for him to do that. Oh, brilliant. But when we're comparing frames and sizes and techniques, I don't think Adriano Moraes was the best. Best technical guy at 135, in my personal opinion. I think he's good. I think he's talented. But you could still see, see the skill discrepancy and the speed discrepancy. And he kind of got away with most of those strikes, I feel like, because of the size disadvantage or the size advantage that he has over Mighty Mouse. If that makes sense. So I feel like a lot of the techniques, if it was like the same size. I think Mighty Mouse sees it super easily and does not even get phased by it or gets out of the way of it and is able to use that style that he was going here and blocking everything. But the few strikes that did get through, I feel like it was mostly because of that size advantage that Mariah's possessed over Mighty Mouse. But that being said, Mighty Mouse, in Mighty Mouse fashion, comes back and in a beautiful, poetic, redemption-like story for him to get knocked out by a knee on the ground because... 1FC, they use the rules that are different than what we see in the unified rules of MMA over here in the States. They allow knees and socket kicks, from what I understand, to down the opponents. I'm not sure if there's like a time limit or exactly how long it takes. I just think that shit kind of crazy. That shit is like, yo, kicking someone in the head while while they are on the ground is a completely different game in comparison to setting it up and letting someone come up to their feet before you can unleash that type of devastating blow. That's my personal take. Whether or not I like it or don't like it, I I don't know. I'm on the the fence of either or. I can see how it could be an an advantage for me and I can see how it could be a disadvantage for me depending on the type of person that I'm fighting and um, I I guess their experience in that situation. Like I've had situations where I've had to ball up on the floor and defend myself and get out of the way of big strikes I can just separate my consciousness and send me to the gulags, right? So I think I have enough experience where if I were to make that transition, I would understand the the other special nuances that I would have to make sure I account for so that that situation doesn't happen too often when I shoot and guys stuff takedowns. Against Jan, I I went four for 22 takedowns. I don't even know. I got to go back and count how many takedowns I actually shot. But they counted two for 22. I was actually four for 22. If I take you down and get behind you, now we take you down. If I get behind you and I bump you forward and your hands touch the mat in wrestling, that is, a, that is a scored takedown. If you say, oh, in the fight, you just hung out in the guard. I'm like, well, if I pass to half guard, that is scored points. Actually, it's not actually scored points. I think you only get points if you get to side control. So let's say I pass to side control. That's a dominant position. It should get awarded the same way it should get awarded in an MMA fight. But the difference with the MMA fight is that taking somebody down, and not actually punching them in the face doesn't account for much. And I agree with that. If I take you down and I have duration of time, I think that has to be scored. It has to be taken to some kind of account, right? That's what I'm saying. So I went 4-for-22 against Piotr Jan. But the other takedowns that I got stuffed, that could be a bad situation for me. And I completely recognize that. And I think that's the thing about me that makes me different from most of these other fighters and these alpha male guys. And not no pun intended. Um... I think these guys get in their own way, their own progress, where they can't recognize their own flaws or see where they can be vulnerable in certain situations. I know I'm not the best in every single aspect of the game. There are some deficiencies, but in the realm of mixed martial arts and blending it all together, I think I do a pretty damn good job. I mean, I got a belt over there to, to kind of go with it. Thank you, Piotr. But <laughs> again, going back to Mighty Mouse, I think he would do well against a lot of weights out there. But I think as you see, people are getting bigger and bigger. The frames, the skill set. Um, again, I don't think Adriano Moraes was the best cream of the crop kind of uh, caliber opponent that you can kind of judge and go, hmm, this was the guy that I can look at and go, yeah, this guy would pose a lot of threats if he were to come to the UFC. I don't, I don't see him as that guy. And that's respectfully. <laughs> respectfully. But again congrats to mighty mouse beautiful finish i think if he were to come to banaway it would be great and like within the UFC, if he were to ever come back kind of thing but um i do think it's always going to be speculation of how well he would do against the guys i think people forget that he's like 52 and i'm not saying guys at 52 can't scrap you've seen what this guy can do he he's a little terrorizer he's like that ch- I don't want to call him a chihuahua but he's kind of like the chihuahua or that little rabid put- pit bull that would just constantly stay in your face and he's attacking your ankles and I love his interview with Ariel Hawani talking about the zombie drill where it's like I'm just going to go forward no matter what because that he goes through sparring sessions where he doesn't get hit and I was actually just thinking about that before I even started thinking about talking about him and I was thinking about my training camp I'm like some things I want to touch on and it's like just putting myself in the line of fire and being more comfortable Sitting in the pocket and seeing the shots coming. And of course, I'm going to get hit. I'm going to get cracked. Sometimes it's going to be good. Sometimes it's not going to be good. I'm going to I'm gonna walk away with a couple of shots that I'm like, damn, if I just sparred and trained and fight the way I normally do, I probably would never have gotten hit. And I think that's a testament to my evasiveness and my fight IQ and just being able to have my awareness so alert that I can see everything going on and kind of feel the reactions of what people are looking for. But I think... That's another level of my game that I could unlock Have if I am able to assert myself in that situation. We're like, okay, we're just going to go forward no matter what happens. We're going to eat some shots. They're going to throw some bombs at us. But if we just go forward, at least I can maybe land something. Either an elbow, a step and knee, a head kick, um, a big one-two or a blitz of a combination. And then maybe I can get a takedown kind of thing. So I think there's a way to play off of this and kind of use that for skill building and uh, real-time speed to see what I can do to improve and where I have deficiencies so that when I am getting in there with TJ, I do understand where I am strongest and where I've had the most success. And I'm like, okay, I had a lot of success doing this sequence. Let's see if this shit works in the fight because I'm comfortable doing this and I got a lot of good reactions versus different bodies that don't know everything that I do. So if I can pull it off against them, he's not going to know what I'm going to do. So maybe it just might work. So with that being said, I think Mighty Welles did a great job. But I think the people that aren't even – he has to get his flowers literally right now. I mean, I don't think people realize how brilliant of a knockout that was. The walk-off, the way he landed that cross, he, he slipped out of the way, came back. Boom. Perfect placement on the jawline. Mariz is hurt. He's stumbling backwards. And as he's reeling backwards, Mighty Mouse is tracking him down. Literally like a homing, like a heat-seeking missile, so to speak. And as he gets to the perfect distance, his back is about to hit the cage. He lines him up, and he delivers almost like a Saget-like from Street Fighter. If you ever play Street Fighter, look it up. Saget, who throws a, a, a tiger knee. And he throws up this... Jump knee That crushes Mariz As he bounces off the cage I think he bounced off the cage And then into the knee So that ricochet of Bing, bing Him coming directly Back into the force It makes it even that much More impactful Of a strike So as he hits it He doesn't even follow up With the punches He literally dances off And starts prancing away Like Doesn't even look back At the opponent To make sure like Yeah, I did that It was like He hit him Boom, I'm out there Just out of it. It's literally like a Highway Robbery, that's what it felt like. That's how brilliant that knockout was. I, I don't think people are realizing how significant of a sequence that was for the timing, the elegance of it, how you he just tiptoed and slowly gathered himself, downloading the data, reading what he's about to do, watching where his mannerisms were going, seeing the eyes that he still hurt, tracking him down, then landing the perfect place. He could have thrown any guys. And miss. It would have been like someone on a fast break layup throwing it off the backboard thinking that they about to throw something up crazy and then they just nothing but rim. Rejection. You know what I mean? So just imagine how pinpoint accurate you have to be to land a perfect shot right on the chin to put out Mirai's in a sequence like that in real time. There's no do-overs. There's no you get to set this up again later. Fourth round. In a close fight where he got taken down off of a bunch of his kicks, he did a great job landing an elbow from, like, this inverted triangle position where Marais was just holding on. His head was stuck behind his hamstring, and he lands like a stepping, not stepping, just sweeping elbow that glances by and cuts him in a really bad spot. And then he puts on the finishing touches. Marais looked way more damaged than um, Demetrius Johnson. And I know some people bruise a little bit easier than others but I think that just goes to the type of shots and significance of the shots that Morize was landing versus the shots of Mighty Mouse. Beautiful shot. And I just want to the the walk off where he was just kind of like ha 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 ha. It was like almost like a lepre- like a leprechaun kind of like. He, 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 he. That's that's how I felt watching. It. And I'm not making it a size joke. I'm saying it the way he just pranced off. Not a size thing because obviously you know people going to say oh you're being a-. not being a dick. Just saying Um, The mannerism Of how he did it Like if you watch What was that That little green leprechaun That kills everybody If you watch that show That movie And uh, it's pretty gruesome But yeah Just kind of like that He kind (laughs) of just it's like that He just Went for the kill shot Pranced off away Like I got your soul I got your soul But bittersweet um, What should I say Bittersweet I guess kind of bittersweet for him Because obviously he was Knocked out with the knee But it was poetic justice Comes back And who would think that the knockout blow would be a, a knee one year later? Crazy. Absolute crazy. All right. Now, before we get going again, I just want to give a shout-out to Bow Valley Barbecue. Say what's up to some of my boys. Thank you guys for sponsoring this podcast. Guys, go check out Bow Valley Barbecue. Tell them that the Master sent you. I got no promo code or anything. Just showing these guys some love. Um, as you can see, all their sauces. Check them out. And they're award-winning. Especially out in Brooklyn. So, all my New Yorkers out there, go check these guys out. These guys are winning awards the awards after awards the awards. Read the label. Award winning. So, check these guys out. And this is a steak sauce, baby. All right. So, we got the main event in Paris coming up. <sighs> Cyril Gan versus Tai Tuovasa. The shoey. This is a fun fight. Now, stylistically, I don't know if Tuovasa has fought anyone who can move as well as Cyril Gan. I'm trying to take a look. Uh 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 mm, 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 mm. no. I'm saying negative because there hasn't been a lot of guys who can move as nimbly on the feet as Ciro Gond does. It's just very few and far in between guys that could do that. Maybe Tom Aspinall, who's got quick Twitch uh, reactions and things like that. Um I know there was another guy who's pretty slick on the feet. I know Chris Dawkins was pretty quick, but he wasn't like quick hands, like blah blah blah. blah. Like that's Cyril Gon. He could step in. He could kick from both sides. He could get out of there. He could bounce on his toes. He's light. That's a dangerous, dangerous guy. He just picks you apart until eventually you have enough. And then he looks for the kill shot, either an elbow. He'll step in with the front kicks. He's even got a heel hook finish in the UFC. Like this guy is well rounded. The only guy who he lost to was Francis Ngannou, the reigning defending champion right now. And that says a lot. I think that fight came down to the. Fifth round, if I'm not mistaken. And he got a bunch of takedowns on Cyril Gan. And I don't think Tai Tuovasa is coming in to take down Cyril Gan. This is going to be a striking matchup. I can see Tai Avasa trying to push him up against the cage. Maybe land that elbow the same way he did against Derek Lewis. But I, I think... And there was another guy on the regional circuit that he hit with that same exact elbow. I mean, if he would have hit that again, that would just be absolute madness. But um, I think there's going to be a very competitive fight in the early beginning... But I think for five rounds, I like Cyril Gan in this one. And I'm a big Bam Bam fan. I just think stylistically, Bam Bam hasn't seen much of Cyril Gan. Cyril Gan has seen a bunch of Ty Tuavasa. Tuovasa is going to need to cut the cage off. He's going to need to weather the storm and and, and figure out the pokes that he's going to be hit, getting hit with like a javelin from Cirugan from those front kicks, those teeps, those long jabs where he's stepping in over the top and then he's bouncing out of there. He's so good with that. Um Francis neutralizing with the wrestling, you know? Take away the movement, uh can bam bam land a bunch of leg kicks that can slow down the movement of Cirugan. I'm not sure I think he's a heavy hitter, and he gets in there. He finds a way to win, and that's what Bam Bam does best. So I can see him finding that overhand right and placing it on the chin. He got, he has a real nice hood stance where he's like real proper, you know, ready to give you them hands, boy, ready to give you them huns. Uh, so I like that. But I'm, I'm just saying I just think Cyril Gant's footwork might be a little bit too much for him to decipher. Hopefully they did a good job of bringing somebody in that can mimic that. And so he could feel what that pressure is going to feel like or that frustration is going to feel like. So he sticks to the game plan. Doesn't get all emotional trying to get one back. Sometimes you get tagged in a fight you want to hit somebody back so bad and you're just like, mm, get over here. And then as soon as you start doing that, you open yourself up and you get clapped again and again. And sometimes finish, and sometimes the guy gets knocked out. So we'll see how this one goes. It's heavyweight division; anything can happen. But I think if this if this goes to a decision, I see Cyril Gan get getting the finish, um, the decision, or I see Ciragan getting a finish later in the fight, maybe round four or five. If the fight ends early, I'm taking tie to Avasa, finishing the fight early. I think because he's such a heavy hitter. If he can catch him early, it'd be good for him. But he's going to have to cut that cage off and figure out how to neutralize the movement. I think when you get too close, Sorogan does a great job of clinch work, doing that step-in left knee to the liver. And that could be dangerous, especially with him having the, the size and height advantage, I should say. Uh, maybe not the size, but the height advantage for sure. So this is an interesting fight, and I'm very much looking forward to that. And it's the UFC's first time in Paris. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Okay, that was bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm an asshole. <laughs> All right. Next up, we got Robert Whitaker taking on Marvin Vittori. Fun fight for the middleweight division. Whoever wins this puts himself back in that title shot conversation against the reigning defending champion in Israel Adesanya. And if Israel is to lose it opens the door wide open for either one of these guys to challenge for a title again. That's the way this UFC works. You might come up short, but if you win one or two, you stay in the position that you're in. And if that king falls, shall that king fall, you have another opportunity to get yourself right back in that title conversation. So, may the best man win. I think Robert Whittaker is great with that same-side head kick. He goes like this darting. He'll have the hands low. He'll throw that jab. And he would double it, pop, pop, and he will go one, two, same side, head kick on the right side, blinds you with the cross, blinds you with the jab. Once he gets your head, like, going backwards and he starts to see you pulling, he finds that homing, that, that timing for his kick, and he lands it time and time again. Sometimes he knocks guys out. Sometimes he puts them on wobbly legs, and sometimes he gets the finish. Did I just say that? He knocks guys out? Yeah. So, you know what I mean. Or it's just a big shot. So that's gonna be a fun one. Marvin Vittori is more of a, a gamer, gritty. I'm not sure like what he's exactly good at, like his strengths. Like, it's just an overall good skill set to have. Like, he's good against the cage. Uh, he's got great conditioning. He can make you tired. He can wear you down by pressing you against the cage. Um, he's going to stay in there and battle with you if you stay in there try to go tit for tat. But there isn't, like, a significant thing that he does super well. Like, oh, he's got a great jab. Oh, he's got a great one-two. Watch out for the right hand. Oh, he goes to the body well. Or he chops the legs down well. If, if that makes more sense. So, for me, I see Whitaker being a little bit more well-rounded with the skill set. And you know what he's going to do that's good. Where I think Vittori is more like hard-nosed, blue-collar worker. They're both blue-collar workers. But he's going to be there in your face the entire 15 minutes for this. Oh, yeah, 15 minutes. It's called Main Event. So for this one, i, I it's a its a really close fight. I like both guys. And um, though Bobby Knuckles was talking shit about me and then he recanted his his statement after I won. I I really like his fight style and I think he like I said I think he has more tools to win. I I, I think the diversity of his attacks from leg of kicks, body leg of kicks, from leg of kicks, oh my god, I said it again. From leg of kicks, I'm just going to say it now, from leg of kicks to 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 body body kicks to heady kicks. Just whatever, just as just, just guys, just go with it. So, heady kicks, body, body kicks that one's already a body, and then leggy kicks. So, I think with all that, and then the good jab that he has, his good footwork, good ring generalship, and he has good timing on his takedowns. Took Israel down, I think, two or three times, if I remember correctly. And uh, although he didn't do much with it, still being able to get to that position could change and dictate the pace of the fight and give his opponents something else to respect outside of, hey man, we're just gonna have a straight up stand up kickboxing fight. And I think that could be the difference. Mar Vittori trains at Kings MMA and they got some really high level striking over there. Um, Rafael Cadero, those guys bang from all the videos I've seen those guys get after it. Uh, so I know Vittori's gonna be well prepared. He's gonna come in shape. He's tough. The guy has a a hard head takes some mean shots from it. Look at his past fights. This guy took some mean, clean shots, and he keeps coming forward, and then he puts guys down. So that's gonna be very interesting to see how he does. Even when he had Israel Adesanya in the clinch against the cage, Adesanya couldn't get off the cage, but he took decided to grab a handful of cheek in the clinch of uh, Marvel Vitoria, where he reaches down and just grabs his ass, his ass cheek, and I'm just like, that's, mm, Yeah. <laughs> Pause. So, um, yeah, like I said, I think he's a gritty guy. If he can get you to cut the cage off and then stifle you with some strikes and then push you against the cage, I think he does a great job with that. So that can make things interesting to see what his approach is going to be. But I think if he tries to go tit for tat with Robert Whitaker, I think Whitaker is just a little bit sharper and that could be Whitaker's way of winning, Um, outpointing him on the outside and then... Looking for those kill strikes. I'm telling you, that same side head kick that he does so well, where he go up, he'll go to the body, and then he'll go one, two, blind you. As you pull back, that head kick is falling behind, and he's caught so, so, so many guys with that. So that's going to be an interesting one to see how this one unfolds. Now, we're going to go into my scrap of the week. I think Charles Jourdain versus uh, Nathaniel Wood, who is coming up to 145. This is a fun fight for the fans. Charles Jourdain, we all know him, the viral Spartan kick. The guy comes to scrap. When he fought Shane Burgos, he weathered an early first-round storm. was very defensive. It looked like he was unconfident about his striking with the hands with Burgos. And then as Burgos took him down and he had that body triangle on him all the first round, for like three minutes, I think Burgos' legs probably got a little bit tired. And then in rounds two and three, you see Jordan open up a little bit more and start to be a little bit more assertive with the striking, especially in round three where he would start to come alive with the boxing and you see him really pressuring Shane Burgos to the point where it's like, yeah, if he connects a couple of these, there's a good chance the ref might jump in there and stop the fight. I'm just saying from the outside looking in, I was there at UFC Long Island. That was a crazy fight to watch. Really fun. And Jordan, to me, is much-watched TV, um, must watch TV and... I see Nathaniel Wood. He's really fun to watch. He's got crisp, clean, European-style boxing. One-two, long jabs. He'll throw the occasional calf kicks. Um, Solid grappling. The UK grappling scene over there is getting so much better. These guys are bringing in guys, developing their game. I think they have J.P. O'Connor, if I remember, Harvard graduate, uh, wrestled D1. And I think he was uh, maybe a couple-time All-American, at least once. Uh, J.P. O'Connor is actually from New York. He lives in London. And when I went out there to visit and I trained over there with those guys, I saw him and I was so confused. I was like, wait, you're J.P. O'Connor. What the hell are you doing all the way out here? But he's living out there. So for them to have that type of caliber of wrestling at their disposal, that is huge. So, again, I was very impressed way back in 2018 with how good, the, how competent the grappling of Nathaniel Wood was back then. So I can only imagine now, I know with all the injuries and things, maybe he's put more time into that area. So this makes for a very interesting fight. Will it just be a straight-up stand-up fight? I think it will. But I think if there's a path to an easier victory for Nathaniel Wood is maybe the grappling. I've seen Jordan get out-grappled before by Desmond Green. Desmond Green is a big, strong guy, though. Really good at wrestling. Um, sometimes he fades in his fights, but early on he's a demon to deal with. Um... We've now seen with Shane Burgos, take him down, body triangle. He doesn't really know how to get out of that position. Um, and then it's not easy to get out of the body triangle, especially when you're getting punched and being attacked at the same time of being having to fight, potentially getting stopped because you might get choked unconscious. So there's a lot to think about. But I think if there's a path to least resistance for Nathaniel Wood, maybe it's that. But if these guys decide to stand and bang and trade him up, this is going to be a fan-friendly fight, and you guys are in for a treat with this one. I think it's going to be a barn burner if if it's a stand-up affair. If. If, if it's a stand-up affair, because I think both guys are so clean with their striking, it makes for really fun scrap. And I think Jordan is better with the kicks. He has a much more in-depth kicking game versus Nathaniel Wood who's more of a crisp, clean boxer. Check out his fights on Cage Warriors. The guy knocks guys out and sometimes it's like the punches that doesn't even look like he's loading up much and he just touches the guy and this guys are being wobbled or they're being dropped or they're being knocked out. So, fun fight. Excited for this one. See how Nathaniel Wood does at 145. He's got a tall frame and I think if he put the muscle on, Maybe might not have been that soon, but I do think with his speed at 145, it could be problematic. Charles Rodin doesn't seem like the biggest 145-er, so this makes for a fun fight and relatively even in size, so to speak. Uh, so a little update on my training situation, guys. So tomorrow's going to be my first day, Thursday, which would be the first, September 1st. Of sparring for me So first day of sparring for this training camp For TJ Dillashaw, UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi I'm very excited about this We got a couple of good bodies that we're going to work with We're just going to start with three rounds um, Then this weekend I'm heading out to Dallas Going to go hang out with some family over there Go see the lady um, Her parents, her uh, brother, the kids, the wife um, We're going to be able to hang out over there and uh, very excited about that. I'm actually getting... I'm probably getting fitted for a grill. I've Been trying to get a new replacement for the longest. So D-Town Jewelry, custom jewelry. Shout out to you guys. Thank you guys. I'm definitely going to pop in over there probably Saturday at some point. So I'm looking forward to getting that. But yeah, going to Dallas. So I'm not going to spar Saturday. I normally spar Thursdays and Saturdays. And at this point in my career, I'm trying to figure out how to make things work here in Vegas. Because back home... I kind of have a lot more of a stranglehold because the gym is that much smaller in size in terms of athletes. It's more of a public gym, but we do have fighters in there at Law MMA and, of course, Sarah BJJ in Huntington. So I can get the world in terms of grappling. And then I got Nick Gullo, who's over at uh, Roy Royale in, uh, I think, New High Park Jiu-Jitsu. And he's got more of like a, a wrestler-based grappling group of guys that I can get to work with, guys that's going to be looking to take me down and maintain top position, as opposed to kind of being content with being swept. I think sometimes at um, some of the other BJJ gyms, sometimes just stylistically, you get guys who play more BJJ. But from us fighters who need guys that's going to be like, no, I'm pressure passing, I'm staying on top, I'm being stingy with points, being stingy with get-ups. I need that, you know. So sometimes. I get some of that with, like, a Nick Ronan, Jason Rao. I get those guys. Great. But then when I need, like, that from, like, the smaller guys, sometimes I won't get that as much. So I could go with Nick and some of his guys, and they have more of that wrestler base. Even though the jujitsu might not be as tight as some of the guys over at Sarah's, but it's a different look, and it's a different feel. So you get comfortable with different situations, and that's what it's all about. So for me, being here in Vegas, I'm trying to m- make the schedule as close and as similar as possible to how I do it back home in New York. So in New York... Normally, on a Monday morning, I'm going to give you guys my schedule. Give you guys free game right here. So get out your pens and notebooks. And guys, if you like what you hear, man, hit the goddamn subscribe. Let me refrain my language. Please smash the like button. Ding! (laughs) And drop a comment if you have any questions. I'm going to get back into the comment section. I didn't get to get to too many of them last, like, week. Two weeks, but I'm definitely gonna get to them this week because it's a little bit of a lighter load for me. Um, just really crushing and focusing more on the training camp. Okay, so here we go. Monday, wake up early. I got either now, before when I was doing this all by myself, I would get up at around eight, do the podcast, and uh, I would do all the editing and have it uploading. Then I'll go to the gym, work out around nine or 9.30, bang it out. Uh, my circuits that I do, which consists of anywhere from about 20. To 40 minutes of work Shower up Come back home Then get something to eat Upload the rest of the video Now Jake Fine is helping me with that And then I'll have a break Where we have the MMA grappling class Starting at 545 to 645 An hour long class That I would normally teach And it would be all MMA based positions We drill actual technique Wrestling style um, For MMA And we'll make sure The focus is super heavy On defense or offense And chaining things up And then we go live For about half an hour sometimes Straight. Um, We do Shark Tanks, where I would be one of the guys that's in the middle. And then we have people just rotating in on me every single minute. And I'm not going to get too too in-depth with all the the details, because I don't want to give away all the goods. Um, But then Tuesday, we'll hit pads. uh, Usually 12 o'clock, because Ray is a night owl. So he'll be up late at night. And then he'll come in, start the day, usually like 11, sometimes 10. But usually like 11, he'll get to the gym. Uh, for me, I would rather hit pads at like nine or nine 30. So I have more of a break till jujitsu. So normally with Ray, I'll hit anywhere from 1130 to one o'clock. And that will be about a half hour um, session after that. Then I have jujitsu at 6 PM actually now six thirty, 6 30. So that's the window that I have. Then Wednesday's more of a lighter day. I used to go ham on this day too, but then I spar Thursday and I'm like, yo, I feel like I've been hit and ran over by a truck three times. Like they reverse, drove back over me, reversed again, and then did it one more time, and then said one more for good measure. That's how it would feel on come Thursday morning after doing all that crazy work from Monday, Tuesday, and then a hard Wednesday. Because Wednesday we have the MMA class. I would teach the same thing. Usually now the way I would teach it is a little bit less live work, and if we do live, it's shorter goes. So even though we're still doing like minute goes, there's only about... Five to eight minutes worth of live work and it's like just a couple rounds. You start on top, then your partner gets the chance to go on offense, and then whatever position that we're working on, we'll do that. Maybe switch four times so you get eight minutes worth of work. Um maybe you switch partners or you stay with the same guy, and then it's a lot of technique, a lot of drilling. So it's less wear and tear on the body. And I won't even go live in that. I would just drill. Or I'll get somebody in the morning, I'll drill and I'll come in, I'll just teach that Wednesday. So that's more of my active rest day, or sometimes just a complete rest day. And then Thursday, I either do something really light, like a flow spar in the morning, just kind of like a shakeout to simulate a fight, because that's what I normally do on fight day. And then after that, that's usually like 9 or 10, maybe 11, and then I have that break until, um, and I don't really like 11, because I feel like by then it's just a little too close, because then I got to eat, and then by the time I take a nap, and if I do take a nap, it's just so close, and then to run back, especially New York traffic, bro, If you leave anytime after 2.30, good luck trying to get all the way to Massapequa. Because that 17, maybe 20-minute drive is probably going to take you half an hour. And then to go back is going to be another half an hour. So you almost have to pick your poison. Like, do I want to rest and just sit in traffic and be miserable? Or do I want to just bring all my stuff and maybe just take a nap in the car? Sometimes I'll do that because the time wasted in the car is just... Way too valuable for me to do that. So I'd rather figure out ways to make it more constructive and uh, useful of the time. That's the best way to do it, in my personal opinion. But then we'll spar at 6 p.m., and that's more of an open mat sparring. Sometimes I'll get in there a little bit earlier, and then I will do the sparring in the, in the cage. So I have the cage for all rounds. Um, and then I would teach the class if I'm not sparring into the class starting or somebody would teach the technique and then the whole class is sparring and then after the sparring maybe I'll jump out and do a couple more rounds with just everybody but it's open mat so it's not as intense because I feel like when you spar in a cage and you have to watch your footwork and your placement and guys are cornering you it's way more realistic it's way more of a on edge kind of feeling and that's what you need to do because it gives you the nerves that you get in a fight not that bullshit was running around all the mats you bump into a group and then you say oh, wait, wait. Oh, hold on hold on sorry sorry it's my bad my bad then you're stopping to pull up your shin guards you're pulling up your knee pads you're, you're, you're uh, making sure the other person's alright that, that shit is, is, is complete nonsense to me like that's cool if you get a good partner you could stay in a pocket and work with and be technical but sometimes with those classes I feel like this is all gyms that I'm speaking on. And if you agree with me, let me know in the comments. But I feel like in all gyms, you have that open mat sparring and guys come in that don't necessarily fight. And they treat it like it's their pro debut and they have to make a statement. And it gets crazy. You know that guy who shoots a double leg or that girl who shoots a double leg. And she's running the partner all the way across the room through like three or four different groups. And they have to get out of the way so that their Achilles doesn't get snapped or something like that for your ego to get a takedown in an open mat setting. It just gets really crazy. So I try not to do too much of that. And if I do, I stay relatively on the edge so that this way there's more control of the space. And if I start pressing forward and you start going all the way to Guam, I just stop and just walk straight backwards and just just kind of do one of one of these. I'm like, we can work. I'm not trying to kill you. Ask anybody who have ever sparred with me. I don't, I'm not malicious. I'm not trying to knock you out. I just try to get real consistent, good work. And I take some and I give some. It's not like I'm trying to piece you up the entire time. It's nothing like that. I try to be good defensively. So if you're going to get something, you got to earn it, right? So that, I keep myself honest. I'm not letting you take some and give some. I'm just letting you punch me in the face. No, no, you're going to have to like earn a clean, clear cut shot. You know, technical, smart, and very controlled sparring. So that's my Thursday. Then Friday morning, we have Jujitsu at Sarah B.J.J. That's now at 10 o'clock. It used to be 9 o'clock. I don't know what happened. It then ended up becoming 11 o'clock. We moved it back after people were complaining to 9.30. And then it got somehow pushed back to 10 o'clock. Jason Raul does a phenomenal job teaching that class. I know him and Nick Ronan just opened up their gym. Vanguard out in, I think, Smithtown. Shout out to those guys. I got to come out there and show some love. Can't wait to come see you guys and train with you guys. I know it's a hike for me in Massapequa. But I'm going to come make it because... Those are two of the best guys that you could possibly ever get in terms of, like I said, those guys who are going to attack you and really try to like push the pace on you, kind of thing. And Nick is bigger than me, Jason's bigger than me, but they give me good work. And Nick moves like a lightweight. He's super long and lanky. He's got these long arms. He's about 5'10 or 5'11, but he feels like he's like 6'2 sometimes. And his control, his grips are so tight. So we always have some good battles, um, but he normally wins. Uh, But it's always good to have that that humbling and that pressure to make you work. Because when I go with him, I do feel like I got to go so hard to level up where I'm at skill-wise to match him. So I got to be a little bit more physical with him as much as I can, even though... I can only do that for so long because his technique is just so good that eventually wears me down. So if I do get a takedown or anything, I manage to control it for a little bit. But then somehow he's putting me in a submission or taking my back and it gets a little crazy. Um, Friday night, I usually do like a biking circuit or something like that. Relatively easy or just ride the bike. Nothing crazy. Like a real moderate pace. And then Saturday we spar. Um, or if someone needs me Friday Friday evening for the puke drill, I jump in for that. And then Saturday we spar anywhere. I would spar anywhere from eleven thirty to two o'clock. I try to do go. I try to go before two o'clock. Two o'clock is like too late for me. Like I said, I don't like driving late in the afternoon, especially in Long Island. It gets it just my tolerance because I used to drive forty five minutes to an hour sometimes to the gym when I was upstate New York, commuting from SUNY Cortland to Ithaca to go to the gym at Bomb Squad. And I would do that twice a day sometimes. And that drive made me realize how much I value my time versus, like, I, I I like the convenience of living here. This is a nice place. I would just take the L and drive to the gym. If I don't have to do that, bro, I'm not going to do that. Like, straight up, just like that. You ain't about to tell me, oh, it's not that bad. Like, I don't care what you're saying, bro. I'm not doing that. That traumatized me for life. And then coming back home to Long Island when I left college, and then living in Uniondale, the gym was right there. It was literally a five to seven minute drive to the gym. I got spoiled, and I and I was like, "This is, this feels amazing. I'm saving on gas money. I ain't gotta drive too far. I can relax a little bit longer. I can run home to grab something if I need or if I forgot my gear. I can go back home real quick and and pop right back out to the gym. You know what I mean? So I much rather that convenience, that luxury. When you do that, trust me, dude, your life. Just so much easier. And of course, there's something to be said about the guys who commute and put that time in. But I ain't got time for that shit, man. I got a lot of shit going on, bro. I got a lot of shit I'm trying to accomplish here. And spending my time in the car, that's not conducive to the things I'm trying to get done. Especially when it comes to recovery and things like that. So Saturday, I'll spar anywhere from 1130 to, like I said, two. But usually I would say like around one is like the latest that I usually try to start. And then I'm done usually by two. And then hopefully I can shower and get out of there by then. And that's my, my day. You know, sometimes I have that that uh, halfway through training camp where I take like a whole week to kind of reset. Not a whole week, maybe like four days to let the body heal up and where you almost do, almost do absolutely nothing. You still do some active stuff. But I think that type of regimen for me has worked. I mean, I don't think I got this belt by accident. And I think there's something to say about the method to the madness. I think it's just about smart work. Hard work? But smart and calculated hard work. Getting the right bodies, getting the right looks, doing the right things, which is your homework before the fight, prepping yourself mentally, prepping yourself physically, and making sure you have everything that you need. It's kind of like a game plan, a game, um, you got a plan A, plan B, a plan C. You can't just go in there with a plan A because sometimes plan A don't work when you get punched right in the mouth and you got to figure out, all right, what am I going to do? My eyes shut, my lip is busted, my nose is broke. What you going to do? What you going to do? You got to account for that type of stuff. And if you don't, if you don't have those hard days in the gym, those hard times, it's going to happen to you in the cage, and you don't want to have that happen because it does not feel good. The last time I had a hard time like that was against Piotr Jan, and I botched my weight cut, and I've said this multiple times. I had a great weight cut. The rehydration process I completely botched that and messed that up, and I take full responsibility to that because I didn't account for the time discrepancy because it was my first time fighting in a co-main event, which means I fought way later in the night compared to the times that I normally fight, which is like at a four or five o'clock versus eight thirty. You know, so there was a big difference in that in that gap window. So I messed that up. That's on me. I completely own that, and it is what it is. Live and you learn. Then get loves. That was a commercial. If you guys. Don't know that commercial. You're probably too young. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I, I I don't mean to show my I, I, my age. But yeah, that's the way I like to do things. So here in Vegas, I'm trying to fit all the pieces together, and so far so good. J.P. Bays has been a godsend for me, huge in terms of helping me with my training camp. Um, being my T.J. dillshaw and he, people use him a lot for sparring. And uh, coach asked me like. Uh, we could get JP. I'm like, dude, I, I would like to give JP a little bit of a break. Um, he doesn't need to spar the Tuesday, the Thursday, and then come sparring. I'm like, that's a little too much. Like, let's give him a little bit of a break. I'll work with somebody else, and maybe I could work with him Saturday. Obviously not this Saturday, because I'm going to Dallas. So that's the way I'm kind of looking at it. Him just drilling with me and giving me those, those realistic looks. And he's doing some good stuff where he's actually catching me. And I'm like, thank God you can actually emulate some of this stuff because these things that I thought I had a good grasp on is now letting me know like, okay, there's some things we got to tighten up. So even if we don't get dropped, we don't give up too many of those shots because, you know, they add up and it looks a certain way to the crowd. And depending on how you react to getting hit by the ones you don't see, sometimes you do the stanky leg. I don't want to do that. So I'm trying to make sure I do the correct homework, make sure I know where to block, where to circle off at, where TJ is going to be looking to close the door with that um, return, that shake, shift, and the stuff that he throws down the middle and then ending with the head kick or the body kick, him attacking the legs. There's a whole bunch of things that I know that he does, and I'm trying to make sure when we drill, these guys are throwing those same attacks so that I see it over and over and over, and this way I know what I'm getting into. So when I get in the octagon, he starts throwing this stuff, he's going to be like, ah. We felt this before. Ah, we felt this speed before. Ah, we felt this power before. We know exactly what we need to do. That's where I'm trying to get the mindset at. So these next seven and a half weeks, I got to make sure I'm super dialed in and I'm super pumped, man. So again, thank you for JP, um, Danny Gay today. We had a nice wrestling drill session today. We drilled for just a straight hour. Straight up wrestling technique in our stance for an hour. Defense, offense, switching partners. And Matt, he came down as well. Uh, Next week the class might be a little bit bigger And it's a class but not really Because I'm not really teaching Most of these guys know how to wrestle So I don't have to teach It's just more so like we're coming in and getting good foundational work And it was shots I was hitting I was like man I forgot what it felt like to drill like this And hit some of these moves and these reactions Because I don't have guys that are that crisp and clean With grappling and wrestling I should say That can help me tighten up those areas To keep it as sharp as it was when I was still wrestling in college Like, I still think my wrestling is one of the best, but it falls off a little bit if you don't use it, man. You'd be surprised. You got to make sure you're keeping that shit, that tool sharp. And I'm going to need to use that against TJ. TJ wants to say whatever he wants to say. I'm going to show him a dangerous fighter when I dump him his ass on his fucking head. Like, that's going to be a dangerous fighter. Let's see how how you do when someone picks you up with one arm and literally Matt returns you and slams you down on your shoulder, slams you down on your head and see what it feels like on that canvas. So... TJ, I hope you're ready because I'm coming. I'm making sure I'm putting in all the work. No stones unturned because your boy is about to be out here and still, baby. Um, And with that note, I thank you guys for always tuning in. Much love. Stay blessed. Drop your comments. And if you like my shit, subscribe to my shit or spin it back, Fizz. Baby, bow, 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 bow. Let's go.